I am very, very excited right now because I have gotten to read an advanced copy of the soon-to-be-released book, Blue Flame. It's book two in the Damon Collecting series, and author Allison Levy joins me to talk all about this thing. We're going to nerd out hardcore, people. Hardcore. Buckle in. It's going to be that way. Allison, thank you so much for joining me, and I am very, very excited about this. Super happy to be here. Thank you. All right. Um, I want to ask first, and there'll be images posted, of course. Who did the cover art? Because this is some sick cover art. That came uh, from the the publisher uh, Spark Press. They, they it was amazing actually. They asked they asked me uh, like they do uh, with every book, you know, to give some ideas of what what I had in mind. Maybe find some some art somewhere for inspirations and say. So I described what I thought would be a nice cover and. Um, when they sent this back to me and said, okay, give us, you know, how close did we get? I said, you took the image right out of my head. <laughs> no notes. It's perfect. <laughs> That's when you've got it. When they when, yes. when they get the cover right off the bat, because there's, there's so much like back and forth. But that's yes. that's really cool, and I I was so I, impressed. Yeah, I love like the old school fantasy feel for it. You have like you have like this like mystical puzzle box, the ghost hand reaching out. It's so creepy and really nice, really really nice. Thanks. I I love uh, old mythology, uh, the kind of old antique feeling things. So yeah, I wanted I wanted the box to have this sort of uh, mystical feel to it, but also uh, the sense that it could be very very old with like old runes and things on it to to give it that feel. So yeah, they did an excellent job. They did. Now, are you the kind of person that can be like sold or not sold just from the cover of the book? Yes, absolutely. Um, I I could never. I've I've never been a romance reader, and half of that is I just the 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 covers just uh, boggle my mind. I'm like, there's nothing that about this that appeals to me in the least little way. <laughs> the perfect like sculpted guys with like uh, yeah, with like the flowing Fabio gossamer shirts, and the, <laughs> and the like impossibly perfect hair, despite the fact that they live like by yeah. the ocean. It's like I can't keep a straight face looking at the know, cover. There's it's, no. It's like who looks like that? No so one looks funny. like that. The thing is, though, you don't see those anymore. It used to be they were on, mm-hmm. on all like on all like they would have this whole shelf next to um, the checkout line at the grocery store where they were all there. It's like that in the comics. Well placed, I think. Yeah. Um, something for the kids, something for the adults, I guess. And uh, they don't have that anymore. That's true. That's true. Mostly I see the checkout line. It's uh, Stephen King and Dean Koontz. There you go. There you go. Or the weird like tabloids or People Magazine or what have you. Oh, And I think we should bring these (laughs) things back, though. Bring these things back. (laughs) They can't be hard to write. They can't be hard to write. You'd think, although I don't think I could write one convincingly. There's a certain there. There is a certain art to it. I'll I'll grant them that. It it may be uh, it may be uh, by the numbers, but uh, I, I just don't think I could write it convincingly. <laughs> it's all about adjectives, you know, steamy, yeah. luxurious, sumptuous, full body. <laughs> all good ones. Just, yes. just chuck those in there every so often and boom, you got a book. <laughs> Beautiful. But let's talk about your book, actually. That's why we're yes. here today, right? That's why, that's why everyone's like listening here today, because you want to hear all about the new book. This is out October 11th, folks. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of a good timing, actually. It's a very kind of creepy, fancy story right next to Halloween. Second book in the Damon Collecting series. Your first book, though, Gatekeeper, was your first book. This was your debut it novel. Was. I'm curious, was the second book any easier to write after the first one was dropped? Uh, yes and no. I, I had ideas in mind of, of what I wanted to write for, characters I wanted to introduce. Um, but... 
I had the added challenge of, well, now I have a published book. I absolutely have to adhere to everything that's in there. I can't change my mind. So <laughs> I have to stick with the, what I started with. So um, it was a little more challenging in that respect, but um, it, it was really nice to, to be able to um, continue the story I started. It's always been a dream to be able to to write a long story like that, and um, so it's it was so nice to be able to to dive back in and really run with it. Now, um, I'm going to take a stab in the dark and say you were you were uh, one of those kids who grew up reading tons of fantasy. Oh yes, <laughs> absolutely. Oh yeah, um, uh, I grew up around time that the um, the Mists of Avalon series was very big, um, things like that. Um, Neil Gaiman was later that was uh but I'm a big fan of his now but um yeah so yeah it was always some sort of fantasy book in my hand or in my book bag so I can pull out when I'm teachers not looking and then read during class <laughs> I was that kid too for me it was a Dragonlance books that's what kind of first got me oh, into nice. it I think I got one at the library and I was just like off the races. I still have them all actually. They were nice. Very 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 instrumental in my current level of fantasy books. So, there you go. Lovely. Yes. What though made you want to write a book? I mean, did something happen and you thought we're doing this thing? I have always um written and I've actually I've written a lot uh over the course of my life. Um I will credit actually a 6th grade teacher actually, who who got me into, I had kind of a tumultuous uh, elementary school career. I, I changed schools what, one, two, three, four times in elementary school. And by the, the time I landed in fourth and fifth grade, uh, I was I was being bullied at school. I had I was developing anxiety, depression, and I was just in a bad place. But then I went to sixth grade. I had this um, English teacher, Mrs. Webb, still remember she um i wrote a little short story for for class and she just heaped praises on this about how creative it was and how well written it was for someone my age and i was just kind of not used to getting that much praise from from a teacher i was blown away so i thought well it was kind of fun to write maybe i'll i'll write a few more and i just did them for myself i just started uh, and that became my thing i would i if i wasn't pulling out the fantasy book didn't think the you know the teacher's going to see me pulling out a book in class i would write little notes in margins of my my papers about you know oh you know here's a little character study i could use for later and i found it was a super great way to um, control my depression and anxiety that i was dealing because i could separate from the rest of the world and just live in this little fantasy bubble that I created. And it didn't solve, you know, all my my problems, the anxiety, the depression, the issues were still there. But it helped me create this little calming sphere around myself. So I could go into that for a while, kind of center myself, ground myself. And then the rest of it was easier to deal with because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't at a 10 <laughs> starting out. I could calm myself down and go into it at a two or three. And it was much more manageable. Have you been able to refine that over the years? Yeah, I had some issues um, after I had my my son. Um, I had some postpartum depression after that, and um, I I wasn't able to write because you know newborns they kind of take up your time. So they are known for that. They do make they do make noises and need like certain things like food. I guess I don't know. You know you don't know it until you have one, but. Um, uh, I was home full time with them, and I, I was I was 
sinking deeper into depression. And when I wasn't depressed, I was having horrible anxiety like I hadn't had in years. And uh, with my husband's support, I went back to a therapist um, who I hadn't been in a while. And after talking to me for a while, she suggested that I find a way to start writing again. She says, it sounds like you kind of created this for, for yourself and that it worked very well for a while. So, you know, maybe if it's possible, send my son to uh, to daycare, you know, one or two days a week and have that time to myself to write. So I did start to do that. And once I did that and got him on a regular schedule and he got a little older and things got into a routine, I was able to set aside this time, be like, okay, if I can get through this part of the day, get through this many errands, chores, this many tantrums, if I can get to this spot in the day, I can have my wind down time with with the writing. So it became a kind of an endurance thing for a while until my son got old enough that he could uh, entertain himself. He's now 12 and has no interest in anything I'm doing, which is fine. That's what he's supposed to do at this age. But um, so now I have a lot more time to, to dive into it. But um, yeah, it, it I did learn how to space it out, pace myself as a as a kind of a mood control. Have you ever been able to like weave mental health into your books, either with the characters or with a message? Um, I'm doing that a little bit um, with my character Bach, particularly in, in the second book. It's um, it's not as direct uh, to say that he has mental health. He has um, uh an unusual ability wherein he um, he's an Oracle. He receives information into his brain that he has no way of knowing how it got there. He's just uh, not psychic, but he just knows things that he shouldn't know, but it overwhelmed him at one point in his life. He had a lot going on like many of us do, like I did. And it kind of short circuited his mind for a little bit. So he spent six months sort of disconnected from reality and homeless that his, his family did not take him in. And when he met my main character, um, it's spelled Rachel, but technically pronounced Raquel, but um, from the first book, (laughs) I'm not going to, I still call her Rachel, but it's a, it's a minor thing. But when he met her, it sort of shocked him back to his senses and she's been a, a steadying influence for him. But a lot of the issues that I see him going through are him struggling to deal with the, um, the recurring issues that his his problem led to him to have like he um he keeps in the second book he keeps having an encounter with a um a thought a uh, missing person poster that he sees and it's triggering something in him that he feels like he's supposed to know and he start he slowly starts to lose little bits of his mind and he has to pull himself back so there's a little bit of of that in the book um i also often say that rachel is um is what i i sort of envision i could have been if i'd never had the depression and anxiety is the sort of brashness, the uh, speaks her mind and really just not give a two Fs about anything and what anybody thinks of her. Do you think a book like this could be a platform to really spread the word about, about uh, mental health and its advocacy? I'd, I'd love for that to be the case. I know it's not as um, overt in in addressing mental health issues but i always try um when i talk about the book to to bring it back to that that these books and the way i wrote them were my way of dealing with anxiety and depression and i always want to say i want people to address these issues and i love that in this day and age it's becoming a more acceptable thing to say yes this is something i've had to deal with yes it's something i still struggle with 
because it, it wasn't that way for me growing up. And it um and those those young years are so important because you carry that with you the rest of your life. This idea of, oh, I can't tell anyone. I can't, I, I have to power through this. I'm not supposed to have these problems. I have no reason to be depressed. And I was going to tell people, you know, it, it doesn't have to be a reason. Sometimes these things just are, and it's okay. You know, and if, if the book in any kind of way can, can improve that discourse, then I am a hundred percent behind it. Yeah. it. It's okay to not be okay. I think that's the yes, message. Yes, it's that, okay. Yeah, that, that people, are, I think we're seeing this a lot more often. People are, are, are saying, yeah, I'm not okay. You know, that stigma, I think, is kind of lessening a little bit. And yeah, if this book can help with it, I think it's a really good thing. Absolutely. Make, make peace with your broken pieces because they're still yours. Let's talk about broken pieces. Uh, let's talk about flawed yes. characters. Obviously, yes. the characters you have here, they aren't like sort of the more typical fantasy tropes where it's like, you know, the muscular hero, you know, <laughs> the uh, the like uber confident mage or what have you. These are people that have issues. They're not all they're not all together. What's the importance of yeah. that? It's about people being able to see themselves a little bit. As much as I love the typical fantasy tropes, the the mage, the you know, the the warrior, the the yeah, the the big burly guys, the 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 princess in 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 distress, and they're so much fun to read. They're so much fun to to to, to uh, dive into that world and be a part of. It's um it's a fun story. I f- but I feel like we don't necessarily take away things from. We don't see ourselves really in their their escapism, which I love and it's fun. But we don't see ourselves necessarily in those characters. Um. I wanted people to be able to see, you know, like in uh, Bach having his his struggles and, you know, he kind of lost his uh, what little support system he had all his life. And now he's trying to build more of a found family because he doesn't have a, a biological family to, to fall back on. Um, Rachel, who's uh, who's just working a job that she doesn't really like. And, and there's all these things have come into her path that she has to deal with and she's coping with them. To some extent, and to some extent, would really like to not be coping with them anymore. And uh, Lita, who um, I didn't get to write a whole lot about in my first book, she kind of came in late in the story, but uh, she's starting to deal with um, issues of these new fantastical things she's learning are challenging old beliefs that she has and uh, old assumptions she had about the world, and she's having to either adapt or reject what she sees. And I think it's something that many of us have had to do. And we have new information coming us. We Sometimes it's hard to adapt to and it's easier to reject it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Rachel is definitely not a princess in, uh, uh, in distress. <laughs> she is definitely not that character. No. Absolutely. And I like that we've kind of chucked that one because I think that tropes in general, I, I don't like them. Um, I like when mm-hmm. ri- when writers can show that real spark and do something different, but especially the princess thing, Ugh. the whole damsel nah, distress thing, yeah, <laughs> terrible, yeah, hate it. Are there any though elements of more classic fantasy that you did put in this? Uh, to some extent, I wanted to have kind of the the mythical creatures, the the inhuman little things that that we that we love about those classic fantasy books, which is why I, I use this idea of daemons, in that they are not remotely human. They're strange little alien looking creatures who sort of live out of phase with the world that we live in, but they, they whisper, they have these little 
inaudible but gets into your brain whispers that tempt people to either act for good or to act for evil. And I, but I wanted it as much as I wanted it to still be fantastical. I wanted to store rooted in a mundane way, which is why Rachel is a daemon collector. So she's she basically a dog catcher. She's rounding up these <laughs> creatures that are misbehaving and bringing them in to be corrected. So it's this this little weird mythical fantastical element, but it's got this you know urban grounding to it. Now I love the concept of the daemons, but did this come from? Existing like myths or legends or folklore? Damon, as the word, as I understand it, and oh, Lordy, I might be wrong, but uh, as I understand it, it's a Greek word that just means spirit. So it's a, um, it, it could be any kind of spirit, not necessarily good, not necessarily evil. It's just sort of a thing that existed in nature. And, and that's sort of my springboard for it. There's this idea that it's a natural occurrence. It's, I describe them as cogs in the cosmic machinery, that this is just something that developed with the universe. And it's just a thing that, that exists there. Yes. Did you spend a lot of time kind of like world building these creatures before you were like, okay, write this book now? Uh, the creatures less so. I, I spent more time to, um, building the world that Rachel comes from, the um, the Arcana. Called. Uh, and one of the, the things I wanted to start with was, you know, what if it was a matriarchy instead of a patriarchy? You know, it's um, sort of this idea of like, well, she she what if her world developed with matri- you know, uh, maternal, that's the wrong word, matrilineal is still the wrong word, but matriarchal roots. I found the word. So if, if she comes from a world that that came from matriarchal wor- roots and um, developed a society in, in uh, slightly different ways than ours, so um, she in in a conversation she has with Lita in in Blue Flame, she talks about how Lita asks her uh, uh, if her her brother, who she mentioned, has a, a child and and the mother of the child, says, "Oh, are they married?" So she says, "Oh." I don't know anybody who's married. I mean, not the way you mean anyway. It's the idea that, you know, would marriage necessarily develop in a in a matriarchal society? Possibly not. So, and um, ideas that um, she says also at one point that her grandfather chose to become the head of head of their uh, their family, of their clan, because she they wanted to show people how progressive they were and that normally it would be a woman in charge of the uh, of the clan. Did you get the chance to explore like new areas of this world in this book? Uh, this book was was uh, there was a lot of back and forth between Lita and Rachel. Um, and their discussions were a lot of where the world building came from, and that came uh, that Lita is sort of trying to dive into the world, sort of as the the stand in for the the reader in some ways, but also because she's very excited to learn these new things. She's a very intellectual woman. She's a woman who. Um, She's a polyglot. She acquires languages just super easy, which I, I is something I've always envied. People who can pick up languages easily. I <laughs> I feel lucky I can speak English, honestly. <laughs> I have no language skill at all. But um so she has this this burning desire to to study the arcana, to learn the arcana. So she's she's talking to Rachel, taking notes. So she she does at one point go into the um, the Damon collectors meeting and um, watches them interact and sort of comments on how different it is from a meeting in her workplace. 
and then is sort of stunned to be kind of mobbed by the collectors afterward who all want to come up and, and talk to her. But at the same time, they don't really ask her a lot of questions. And, and so she's she's confused, like, well, don't they want to know about me? And Rachel says, well, they know about you. I told them about you. Why would they ask questions? So she's it's this weird balance of like oh, trying to learn, but it's very strange. How is Lita as a character? Is she like a really strong character, would you say? Lita, yeah, um, I, she is a very strong character. In the um, in the in the first book I wrote, uh, she and Rachel were both uh, abducted by uh, a man who briefly held them prisoner, and she is struggling a little with um, with the aftermath of that. She's got some physical injuries; she's still recovering from. And in this book, and going into the third book, she ha- still has some mental Im- mental PTSD type um, problems that she's going to have to deal with. With that, going back to mental health but um she i do think she's stronger she's an accomplished um woman she's she's been very driven all her life she grew up in a home in a uh, home with a um, single mother after her father passed away she's i think she's always been the responsible one with her younger brother who's also in the book simon uh kind of being the one who was uh however accomplished he was he he maybe wasn't expected to be as as accomplished as she was. Yeah, I definitely got that rivalry right from the get-go. You know, like Simon yeah. learning that it's the women in the family that have the gifts and he's just sort of yes. there, you know. He's like, well, yeah. I guess I'm just nothing then. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, can you really blame him? I mean, this is maybe something he's heard about his whole life, that this oral tradition they had passed down of uh, our daughters are very important. And now he finds out, okay, it's not just some weird story. It's, it's an actual thing. Our daughters are important in sculpture. Well, where does that leave me? So I want, so yeah, he starts off kind of resentful, but I like to think as the book goes along, he's slowly finding his place. Not, I mean, not so much in the family. He's always had a place in that, but finding his, his place in the larger context of the arcana and the rest of the world. All right, now we've we've dropped a couple hints here and there, but I would like to to dive more into the plot. Where does this yes. book pick up? This book picks up um, not too long after the first one. Um, maybe I'm trying to remember. It's about a week, I think, and it picks up with um, Rachel's been assigned to be the the liaison to uh, Lita and her family because they are gatekeepers. They are human placeholders for a very large, very destructive daemon that was um, sent away to the wastes to slowly decompose thousands of years ago. They took the um, the thing in the daemon that allows the daemon to skip dimensions, skip realms. And put it in a human so that who couldn't use it. So basically, they it's equivalent to a birthmark for them, and it passes down from mother to daughter. And um, she, Rachel now has to be the person to explain to this family what it means to be gatekeepers and um, what sort of resources they can have available for them. And part of that is she offers to take Lita with her um, to her next work assignment where she gets assigned uh, which daemon she which broken daemon she has to go collect so uh lita goes with her on that and gets to see um what she does and at the point where the book picks up bach is also now living in rachel's house after um she she told him yeah she's not going to kick him out and she doesn't see anyone from the central office coming to get him anytime soon so he can basically he can stay as long as he pays his own way so he's Having having come out of uh, this mental haze where he he couldn't really function, he's now back in his own senses and he's trying to get his life back on track. 
and Simon sort of steps up and volunteers to help him uh, go around town and uh, gather the pieces of his life that got got left in various uh, stages of limbo. So that's a, so that's a very complicated story. Did you have to plot this thing out, or did you just kind of go with it? <laughs> I did plot it out, and I plotted out the two parts separately because it starts off Lita and Rachel in one part, and Bach and Simon in the other part. They all start together, and then they diverge and go on these two tangents, and then come back together towards the middle. But um, yeah, I absolutely did have to to map them out. I mapped them out separately, and I wrote them separately, and then wove the chapters to get together. Wow, how'd you do that? I took uh, one set of uh, one word document that had all the chapters from Rachel and Lita, one that had from, from Bach and Simon, cut and paste, cut and paste <laughs> into one master document. <laughs> I would love to. I would love to see see uh, the flow chart for these different stories and how they kind of like weave together because this is this is uh, some uh, like uh, Game of Thrones thing happening here. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it, it was it's actually fun fun for me to 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 map these things out and to there's always uh as as i'm writing like like many writers often i take little side routes or i don't end up exactly where i plan to be but uh, i love uh following the uh the basic chart that i have just to to see okay let's see where i can go i know that when it comes to writing books the first draft is never the same as the second draft or the final oh, draft or anything <laughs> I'd like to ask what the first draft was like compared to the final copy. Oh, the first draft. Oh, Lord. Um, there wasn't a lot of Simon in the first draft. Yeah, yeah, I was trying to write just one steady story instead of doing the divergent story. So it was almost like Bach was popping in and out of the story and it wasn't working too well for me. And uh, yeah, that's when I, I decided, okay, I've got this this younger brother and I haven't really done anything with him. Let's let's bring him in, flesh him out and and see if that can work. And that worked much better. I also as a, a kind of a lesser moment, but um, there's a family um, in a uh, there's a family in the um, story, um, the El Saeeds, who uh, run a, a market near Rachel, who become the uh, the focus of a Damon investigation. Um, but Mrs. El Said, um, in that was much more of a damsel in distress in my initial draft. And I, it never quite worked for me. I didn't really like, and I thought, well, how can I fix this? And finally I said, okay, she can stay a, a damsel in distress up until the point when she realizes there's something larger going on. At that point, she's like, okay, obviously I've been sick in bed too long. I'm getting out of bed because you people are ruining this house. I'm getting <laughs> I'm getting up and I'm taking care of things. So she went from being damsel in distress to mother in charge. And to me, it felt much more natural to have her that way. Did you leave any major storylines on the cutting room floor? Oh, did I? No, no. Cause I started with a very basic story and built on it from there. Cause I started out too basic and ended up building up more from there. Um, I think I did delay. I did ultimately decide to delay um, part of the story for the third book, but um, no, I don't. Didn't so much cut it as I, I set it aside. I have when I write, I have a folder in my 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 master folder that says scraps, and I will cut it cut out some. Sometimes you just cut it out and you throw it away and be like, well, this is garbage. But sometimes Julian's really, like, this is nice, but it doesn't fit here. Maybe I can put it somewhere else. So I move it to the scraps pile. 
and starting with the scraps pile was what sort of became book three. Talk a little more about the major challenge in this book. We have the young kid who is standing alone against a daemon that threatens his entire family. Can we talk a little more about that particular daemon and what they bring to the story? Well, that's, that's what, what is particularly interesting is that it starts off being this idea that it's a daemon, but turns out it's something very different, which throws Rachel through a loop to some extent. What um, the book it, um, starts out with this, um, the prologue being told from this creature's point of view that he's been torn out of his, his home and he's, he's got this human, he, for social pressure reasons, he has to get revenge on this human who brought him against his will. It's, it's a matter of honor. He can't go home until it's fixed. But what you find out at the end of the prologue is that this human who did this is a young child. He's a six, seven-year-old boy who it has a, a rare ability, and he just is not controlling it very well, and it was completely an accident. But of course, honor doesn't listen to accidents so <laughs> kid's gonna go <laughs> so yeah so he um he now this creature decides since he can't get close enough to this kid the kid just keeps like poofing him away to different places and he keeps coming back but he can't get close enough to the kid he's like okay i'll get revenge on the kid's mom because she's there she can't even see me i can just uh so he keeps subtly or not so subtly attacking her and this poor kid is left alone you know trying to tell his parents there's a monster in the house but like, yeah yeah honey of course there is and all they know is that his mother is sick and they don't understand uh, that he's the one protecting her and he happens to have a encounter with rachel who he realizes oh she she can see things that they can't she understands things they can't and he confides in her there's this monster upstairs and i'm scared and it it sort of it gets to her a little bit. And I think Rachel's not really someone who things get to a lot. But there's something in this case like, I'm scared. Please help me. And she goes and she uh, she looks. And should I give it away or no should I spoilers. leave it hanging? No spoilers. No spoilers. She goes and looks and realizes it's not a daemon. It's actually a much bigger problem. Oh. It's because um, daemon she's allowed to deal with. This particular thing? she's not supposed to get involved so but she doesn't want to leave the kid hanging in and it creates an issue for for her and for the people around her i like it and i gotta say i gotta be honest i did not catch that the kid was the one doing the poofing in the opener which i i, I yeah. loved how you how you kind of wrote it almost like a poem i was like huh this is nice this is different i like it and i thought it was like the kid's dad or something like that i was like oh <laughs> it shows, oh it's a kid <laughs> interesting it's it's um a real treat in some ways as a as a prose fancy writer to be able to write something in a different style as writers we don't always get the chance to play with format so it was uh nice to do something a little a little different so there are are two of these creatures in the uh book and as one of them one of them i wrote to the left hand side of the page and the other i wrote centered to the right side of the page and when they come together, there's a moment where everything is centered in the middle, where they have a little conversation. Did you get to do anything else different that you really enjoyed doing with this book? That's a good question. Um, I I don't know. It was um, I don't know. I I always enjoy writing. I always enjoy writing this story and these books. 
that was being able to play with the format was definitely uh, such fun for me. I don't know that there was anything special other than that. So where do we go from here? You know, book two is out. Are we going to see a third, a fourth? Is this part of like a longer series? Uh, it is. I've got the third one. The I'm touching up the draft now, getting it ready. Um, I think it's more or less in its final form until the editor gets it and cuts it all to, <laughs> to pieces for me because yep. that's her job. And she does it wonderfully. Um, yeah. Um, I, so I got the third one. I'm outlining the fourth one. Um, I was hoping to to stop at the fourth, but I don't think I can wrap it up. So I, I decided to um, change the I, I knew where it was going to land, but it was going to be a much longer series at one point. So I decided to I needed to condense it a little bit. So I was hoping to wrap it up with the fourth, but I think it may be the fifth. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're definitely in for the long haul. I am, and I actually have a second series that's going to start coming out next year because oh. I'm crazy like that. Okay, come on, come on. You got to tell us about this one. <laughs> this this is a, also an urban fantasy because that's my thing, but it's, uh, it's a story of a 21, um, 21-year-old 21 uh, witch who runs away from her very wealthy, very powerful, but very manipulative family. And she's dealing with a lot of emotional trauma that came out of this family, and she's on the run with her best friend, who's a, a nymph, and they're they're trying to go build build a new life. But she has a run in with someone who really needs magic help. And but the only way she can really do that is if she's overcoming these these traumas that she grew up with and and getting over this privilege that she's had to had to live with and that in some ways she doesn't get to have anymore now, now that she's left her family and name behind. How do you address issues like mental health and privilege? without it like bashing over the reader's head being a, a in a fantasy setting is very helpful with that honestly um because i can i can twist it any any which way and and it, it will still kind of come through and it, it it's that going back to the idea of the character being relatable so you will still see a little bit of yourself you will still see a little bit of our world even if it's uh even if it's a little turned upside down in some ways any uh, any characters that you like really uh, relate to? There's a little bit of me in a lot of the the characters. That, like I said, Rachel for me is is this part of me that I I really wish I could bring out more. Bach has a lot of my my internal struggles that I deal with. Lita has this uh, this pressure on to to be something to this family pressure that that I often felt growing up. Now, the character that I write in my new series um, that relates more directly to um, me cutting a particularly toxic family member out of my life. And that that was where that came from. So in some ways, that was that was more dire directly related. So the series, this series, the Damon Collecting series, for me, in many ways, it's coping with um it's learning to deal with my anxiety and depression. It's me using it to cope with uh, my internal issues and external pressure on me. The new series, writing it was a lot more triggering for me in a way. So it was uh, less less about controlling my anxiety than it was about getting getting this turmoil out of me and putting it on paper instead. Now, of course, essential aspects to any fantasy series is going to be magic. Tell me how magic is represented in the series. 
Magic is representing the series more as advanced technology. Because who was it that said um, any sufficiently advanced technology will look like magic to those who don't have it? I want to say Asimov, but I couldn't swear to that. <laughs> um, but um, so it's this idea that the arcana, this other dimension where uh, Rachel and the other Damon collectors come from, is that they have existed as a settled society much longer than we have so that they their written records go back to when you know before our ancestors were coming out of caves basically so they have have been at this much longer they also had the advantage of and i get into this a little in the um in the book where the there's another dimension adjacent to theirs that they will send people to to collect old discarded technology in that dimension was, was much farther advanced than that so they've so it's presented as technology but it you know, of course it's hand waving from a writer's standpoint to uh to make his magic because um the big technology for them is the ability to to go through dimensions and to them it's it is technology but it's also something that a select few number of people have a rare ability to do like the the kid in the story naji that he has this rare ability to punch through dimensions with just kind of a nod of his head he's able to do it so it's it is technology to them but it's also something that a few people are just exceptionally good at ah, i like that i really like that all right, now, of course, we're coming up to the big day, release day, October 11th, folks. Put that on your calendar, yeah. <laughs> get your copy. How are you on release day? Uh, you know, at this point, everything's done, and I'm just waiting like everyone else. It's like uh, I'm I'm trying to do the interviews, get the word out about it. Um, I've, I've wrote a few articles and whatnot, but at this point, I'm kind of uh, ticking down the clock. And I think, uh, you know, I'm come. The week before on Instagram, I'll start posting a, a little countdown to remind people. But uh, there's not but so much to do at this point. You know, of course, I'll I'll drink a glass of wine and toast the day when it comes. <laughs> but um, until then, I'm playing the waiting game. Ah, OK. <laughs> uh, let's be hypothetical. So the big day comes and you see the first review pop up on Amazon. Do you check it out? Yeah. <laughs> Usually not. Uh, my husband will occasionally check these things for us. Like, yeah, you're doing great. I, occasionally, I, I, it's um, it's a symptom of my anxiety to a large degree that I tend to avoid things. It's like, oh, I'm feeling stressed from that. Let's go look at something else. But I, I will occasionally settle myself or work myself to the point. It's like, okay, let's go look at it. I did that for the first book uh, not that long ago. I'm like, oh, four and a half stars on Amazon. Let's screenshot that and look at it anytime I start to feel bad about it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I will, I will definitely check Amazon at some point, but I'm not going to be going back to the page a lot. It's, it's, it's like a, a, a little bit of a, a quest to work myself up to that point to, to be able to, I got to climb the mountain. I'm going to look and now I won't do it again for a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, Allison, I will raise my glass in anticipation of a wonderful release day. Again, folks, October 11th, get your copy, but where do they go to learn more about you and check out your works? Um, definitely check me out on Instagram, A. Levy Author. You can check me on Twitter, on Facebook. Um, not on there near as much, though. Amazon, uh, Instagram is definitely your best shot. Or come to my uh, webpage at uh, damoncollecting.com. Excellent, excellent. Well, definitely, folks, 
Looking forward to uh, checking out the rest of this book and the first one too. Get your copy of Gatekeeper because you're going to want to read that to understand everything in Blue Flame. And Allison, thank you very much and uh, looking forward to book number three. Thank you so much. Hi, this is singer Kate Eppers and you're listening to Citywide Blackout. Okay, everyone, that brings this episode to a close. One more time, October 11th is the big release date. Make sure you got your copy of Blue Flame. This is an amazing book, and I highly recommend it. You can follow the show on Facebook under Citywide Blackout and Twitter and Instagram under Citywide Max. Get at me at citywidemax at yahoo.com and check the show out wherever you find your favorite podcasts, as well as every Saturday at 10 p.m. on Boston Free Radio. That's all for now, and I'll see you next time.